0: Good morning. If you have a Bible handy or a Bible app handy, if you would be opening up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8 will begin there in just a few moments. We are grateful that you are here this morning, especially to those who are visiting with us. We appreciate your presence with us this day. As we try to mention multiple times, we have lunch in just a few moments and then we'll have an afternoon service after that. And we hope that you can stay and be a part of any or all of that and certainly plan to be back with us again on Wednesday evening as we have classes for all ages and we uh, enjoy the time that we can spend together encouraging one another. We appreciate uh, Brian his leading our singing this morning and Gabe the thoughtfulness that he puts into his prayers, and Brother Robert has already been mentioned in the emotion and the time and effort he puts into allowing us to really think about the Lord's Supper and the death of Jesus, and we appreciate you for being here and being a part of that, because we want to assemble together to encourage one another. This morning, and actually all of today, is going to be, we might call it a day of history, Uh, Because we're going to talk about a lot of historical things today. That doesn't necessarily lend itself to a, a very great spiritual lesson, although we'll make some lessons when we come back to the end of this lesson this morning. There's some lessons that can be learned, but there's also, as we think about the span of time and the span of the Bible, a lot of history that is found there. And sometimes it just helps us to remind ourselves of what takes place. You know, over the course of this series that we've been looking at on Sunday mornings where we've talked about the Old Testament and we've entitled it Sunday School Catch-Up, we use a lot of different ways uh, of talking about things and some of those were memorable. I brought the little uh, hand puppets or things up here that the teachers have used and we've used the flannel board before, all of these things to try to help us and ingrain in our memory these Old Testament stories and the things that would benefit us to learn about. This morning I'd like to use something a little different but also to make you aware of a a great resource that's out there as we always try to do. Uh, Today we're going to use most of the slides or almost all the slides will come from a group that's called Ethical Media and that is actually just the name, the front for Gary McDade and his family and the work that they do putting these things together. They've got several things. I brought a few books up here that I've recently added to my library. Uh, Women of the Bible, Saul, David, and Solomon, uh, Moses, Israel, and Judah. All of these are books that, that Gary and Sheila have done together along with a few others. Uh, and also, as you see this morning on this slide, uh, they have what they call the Bible Visualize. And these are actually USB keys that you can stick into your computer. And both of them are full of PowerPoints to teach lessons from both the Old Testament and the New Testament and I was thankful that many years ago Jason gave me a copy of the Old Testament and I've used it several times in different classes and things but we're thankful to Gary and Sheila and Jason and Lauren and their sons for the work that they do and we help support them as a congregation here with the work that they do in this area but they have put together all this material and it's very encouraging as we think about the Old Testament And as we've mentioned, we've been studying these lessons to kind of catch us up on some things that, number one, we've either forgotten, and maybe we've run across a few things so far that you may have forgotten, or number two, some people who get later in life and they become a Christian then, and they say, well, I didn't grow up hearing about those Old Testament stories, and so I feel like I need to catch up. To kind of break it down again, just to give a quick recap, we have looked at sort of a timeline of the Old Testament. We talked about, this is basically the book of Genesis, right? Adam and Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and and all the way up to, to Joseph. We broke that down into multiple lessons, but we talked about the book of Genesis. We added in, of course, we came to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the story of Moses and the children of Israel as they are given the law and they are told that they are to follow that in order to be obedient to God. We added in Joshua, and actually we split up up Joshua and Judges, right? Because there's a whole lot of information contained there. Joshua is the, the conquering of the land of Canaan and the settling in that land. as God had promised would happen, it did happen. The judges then begin to rule, and and so many things take place during that time. And then the last lesson that we had looked at is what we call the United Kingdom. And we put up on the slide here the pictures and said, you know, no, we're not talking about red telephone booths or the royal family or the, the flag of the United Kingdom. We're talking about the period of Saul and David and Solomon, the time in which the children of Israel ruled together under one. King, united, if you will. I ask you to open your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 8 because the last lesson we did a few weeks ago, this is where we started because in First Samuel chapter 8 is where Israel demands a king. It's not God's idea. It's not what God wants. Verses 4, 5, and 6, they remind Samuel here, they say that we want a king so that we can be like everyone else. And we already begin to see the lessons because we're not demanding a king, but we realize sometimes that our only goal in life is to be like everyone else around us. And when we do that, we often find ourselves in trouble. And the children of Israel find themselves in the same situation. Of course, after the United Kingdom, the end is going to come, as we're going to touch on this morning, the divided kingdom. The divided kingdom is going to cover many Books and most of the books, we might even say, of the Old Testament. I actually tried to do a quick search through using the internet, and I wasn't going to count myself, of the number of verses uh, that are covered by the divided kingdom and the prophets. And really, there's a lot in Genesis. And when you add in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's a lot that is there. But there is a good chunk of time that is underneath this umbrella of not only the united, but then the divided. And as we're going to talk about in just a moment, including the prophets, when we think about this particular study, when we think about the divided kingdom, someone says, well, why should we study it? Why is it important? And the answer is, in just sort of a a bring it down, boil it down kind of way, this is an important study because the divided kingdom helps us to understand the 17 books of the prophets. Now, you may not have heard that breakdown before, right? 17, but we think about the major prophets and the minor prophets. When you just open your Bible and you read the book of Isaiah and you read the book of Jeremiah or Joel or Amos or Obadiah or Nahum and Habakkuk, you read those and you say, what in the world is going on here? I don't understand what they're talking about. Who are these prophets and what are they doing and why are they talking in this kind of figurative language sometimes and the answer is because they are writing and prophesying during this time of the divided kingdom you see when we read it it doesn't quite mean much to us today necessarily if we just open the book of Nahum or Habakkuk and start reading but if we understand that as we look at Obadiah and Micah and all of these books these prophetical books and we take them in context with where they belong then it does make more sense to us It helps us understand what they're saying and why they're saying it and the time frame in which they are saying those things. You know, I don't have to give you the examples, although I could, but many of you who are sitting here, and I'll say many of you that have gray hair, and I'll say that only because mine is showing a little more now too, but remember a time where if someone said that you could look up anything you wanted to know on this little device that had a battery that you would carry in your pocket, or that you'd be able to call anyone in the world? I saw something this week, of course, the little memes and funny stuff on Facebook, you know. But, but someone said, I'm going to try to explain to my kids what it meant to have free minutes after 9 o'clock, right? And some of you remember a time where when you had cell phones, it mattered what time you were using those or calling people. And now when people say that, if you were someone were to say that before, you'd say, I don't even understand what you're talking about. The context matters sometimes, and it helps us understand the prophets to think about the divided kingdom. So we ended last time with the end of the United Kingdom, and we said that the United Kingdom lasted for 120 years. It's real easy to remember. Three kings, 40 years each. Saul, David, and Solomon. Each one reigning successively through 40 years from 1 Samuel chapter 8. And if you want to go ahead and turn forward, you can turn to 1 Kings First Kings chapter 11, First Kings chapter 11 and 12 is where the United Kingdom ends with the death of Solomon. And I heard you guys killed Solomon this morning in the Bible class right at the end, finished, finished talking about Solomon this morning. So this fits in perfectly right there because Solomon is going to die in 1 Kings chapter 11 verses 41 through 43 and the United Kingdom is going to come to an end. Now before we get to talking about some details about that this morning, let's go back and notice some prophecy. The writing on the screen is going to be kind of small, so if you have a Bible handy and you're looking at 1 Kings chapter 11, go back and begin at verse number 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. You go forward then, you look down in verse number 9. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not Go after other gods, but, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So then we look in verse number 12 and 13. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen you see the divided kingdom doesn't actually occur here we might say but there is a bit of prophecy about it now it's going to happen very quickly it's not going to be years and years later it's going to come about very quickly but yet this is we might say the prophecy of it being torn divided into two no longer a united kingdom but a divided kingdom why because of Solomon because of Solomon's heart Because of Solomon chasing after women and then going after their gods. Solomon represents here as we've seen one king and one united kingdom. And so then we're going to meet and it's going to begin to divide with two different men. God had revealed to Solomon that Jeroboam would be king over ten tribes and that Rehoboam would be king over only one tribe. Now, I'll admit to you here, I spent many, many years never being able to remember Jeroboam and Rehoboam and which one is which, right? They're right here together and you have a hard time remembering who is who. But Jeroboam on the left as you're looking is Solomon's servant and Rehoboam is Solomon's son. The point just a moment ago from chapter 11 was that God says specifically there in verses 12 and 13 that there will be this division, and this division is going to take place by these two men. If you go forward in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 12, this is the place that I have marked in my Bible as the divided kingdom. Specifically, you might even circle or underline or make note of verse number 20. But before we get there, we see that in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, that there is a revolt against Rehoboam. You see, he's going to try to take charge. In fact, the McDade said in their slides, and I didn't have time, obviously, to use every slide. They had about 50 in this particular presentation as they really break down the things that are taking place here. But as you read here, they they had their politicians set up, if you will. There's two differences, right? Jeroboam and, and Rehoboam. And Rehoboam is going to try to accept some counsel, some advice. What should I do? You look down in verses 1 through 5, and there's this question to him. And verse 6, though, as he has this question placed before him about how he is going to lead and how they are going to serve, verse 4 says, they say, your father made it heavy on us. Would you make it lighter? Verse 6, he stands before the elders. And in verse 7, they give him wise counsel. They say, if you will be a servant and serve them, they will be your servants forever. I don't know if it's foreshadowing exactly or not, but you know what I see here? Humility, right? The attitude of service. Our kids have taken pretty fond lately to making kind of jokes about the first shall be last, the last shall be first. You know, you always say that if you're last in line, you say the last shall be first. Well, I see this type of attitude of service. I will put myself last. If you will serve them, they will serve you. But what does Rehoboam do here? He does not listen, according to verse number eight. He goes with the young people. Now, I don't want to say that, you know, that's the only lesson here. You got to listen to the older people and not the younger people. There are probably some younger people who might be wise and have some good advice. But we understand he gets wise counsel and he rejects that. And so then in chapter 12 and verse number 20, the divided kingdom begins. Now, if you can make it out here, it's a little hard, but the green dot towards the middle is at the top. And it says that this is the northern kingdom of Israel. And down towards the bottom, it's shaded a bit of a tan or a brown color there, is Jerusalem, and it's the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is the division, quite literally the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, that then is going to begin this period of history in Israel called the divided kingdom. Now, what we'd like to do here in the last few moments of this lesson before we make an application is to do a quick overview of this time. If you have a bulletin in front of you, this is the chart, and sometimes the best way to compare something is by a chart. I was always terrible at math, but being a huge sports fan, I I love stats and and charts and things to help us understand and, and break down statistics, and so this really hits me to think about. Let's go through and try to fill in this, and we'll have a bit of a better idea about the divided kingdom. Now, let me tell you as well, we're going to continue this out in a future lesson. This is not cut and dry in the end, but this will get us started here. If you'd like to fill in the column number one, we want to make known. Again, that there are two kingdoms. The first kingdom is the northern kingdom, and they are sometimes called Israel. As you read your Old Testament, there are other names that are used sometimes. In fact, if you read the prophets, you need to know those. You've got to kind of read and pay attention. But Israel is the northern kingdom. When you start in 1 Kings chapter 12 and you begin to go towards the New Testament, Anytime you read the word Israel, it's not talking about those two million people that left and crossed the water and left out of Egypt. It's talking about just that northern section and the people who are there. The second section, of course, we've already mentioned is the southern kingdom or Judah. You'll hear referred to as the northern and southern, Israel and Judah, and even by these other names we've made mention of already. But it helps us to begin to work across our chart here to notice that these are the two kingdoms. Now, I love this next part because it works really, really great. I'm going to show you the names in just a moment, but in the northern kingdom, as you count, there are 19 different kings that you can read about. If you've read through 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you'll see these, and there's even overlap. You've got to really, really watch, or you've got to have a guide or a help to point out where the verses are sometimes, but there are 19 kings In the northern kingdom. And it's beautiful and it works out great because we can also say there are 19 kings in the southern kingdom. Now, one of those things that we make mention of from time to time is that people like to argue about the Bible and they like to quibble over things that may not really matter. There is one woman who becomes sort of king, if you will, in the southern kingdom. And so some people say there are 20. I don't want to confuse you if you ever read that anywhere. Some of you say that doesn't really matter to me. I like it nice and neat here being with 19 and 19, but sometimes you'll read that there are a few differences. Now, here they are. There's not going to be a pop quiz, all right? No test. No need to write all this down or try to memorize them. Uh, if you're interested in this information, you can find it lots of places. I can also print this slide, and, we can, and you can have it. Uh, but there's no need to go through all of this, although there are some names that you recognize. At the top of both lists is Jeroboam and Rehoboam. On the left-hand side, about a quarter or a third of the way down, is Ahab. Anybody remember King Ahab? Last year at our Vacation Bible School, we talked about Elijah and Elisha and old King Ahab. When we think about this list of names, there's many of these that there's only just a few verses about. We don't even know very much about them at all, but that's okay because they have their place in the history books. The ten tribes formed Israel, the northern kingdom. You see the list that you do know, Reuben, Simeon, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and so forth there. There are ten tribes that are making up this northern kingdom of Israel, and so that leaves two tribes that form Judah. Judah and Benjamin. Now, one thing that's very interesting that I did years ago, and it was suggested to me, uh, but I went through basically Kings and Chronicles and tried to write down, I know you won't see it, but where there are the different kings. So I have 3N, 4N, 5N, 6N, because I just have a quick visual to say, oh, well, that's the fifth king in the northern kingdom or the sixth king in the northern kingdom. I have something else written by there, and it has to do with the next column in our chart. Let's talk about the morality of these kings for just a moment. In the northern kingdom of Israel, there were 19 kings, and every single one of them was evil. In my Bible, as I note these kings, just again for a quick reference, I have it written in blue ink. It's real easy five in, six in, seven in, again, all the way down to 19. And I had to, again, do that that with some help, you know, looking at a website or a book or something and go through and kind of write those out. But it was real easy. I can write them in blue because every single one of them did evil. And you know what's said about them is that every single one of them followed in the footsteps of Jeroboam. Then they follow in the footsteps sometimes of Ahab. But they were all evil, every single one of them. And yet, we come to the southern kingdom and we see that most of them are evil, but some of them are good. I went through the southern kings in my Bible and I used two different colors. If it were red, then it is evil. And if it is green, then they are good. Now, here's the thing: none of them were, most of them were not just good altogether. Some of them were very good kings to start and then they fell away. Some of them were bad kings to start, but then they decided to turn to God. And so there's some good among a few of them. But however, we see most of them continue to be evil. This is why the prophets are prophesying. They're warning them, stop serving idols. Stop turning your back on God. But just like many people today, they will not listen. They will not listen, which brings us to our last column there. Are they going to go into captivity? Do they go into captivity? And the answer is yes. The northern kingdom is first taken away. There's going to be a division here, and that they're, there's not, they're not taking it away in captivity at the same time. The northern kingdom goes first. They are taken away into Assyrian captivity. And just a little spoiler alert warning here, this is going to come up again this afternoon. When we talk about the intertestamental period, this is going to be a part of it. The Assyrians taking captive the northern kingdom. I think we've made mention before, but I don't think most of us can wrap our minds around the idea of being held captive in another country. We think about what we see in history books. We think about how close we might have been during World War times to being overtaken by another country. I don't think we can begin to touch on how awful it would be to be carried away, to watch our families separated and people maybe carried away to Germany or Japan or one of these other world powers at the time, but they are. They're They're divided. The northern kingdom is carried away into Assyrian captivity while the southern kingdom continues to stand for a while. But then, yes, the southern kingdom is also carried away into captivity and it's carried away into Babylonian captivity. This one is pretty easy to remember because if you open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, where does Daniel end up? He ends up in Babylon. And so the southern kingdom is carried away and he is one of those captives who is taken away into Babylon as being part of those who were captured and then again, it's kind of divided again uh, with this division that many were going to be taken away and become enslaved by first the northern kingdom to Assyria and then second the southern kingdom to Babylon. There is a lot that is caught up in this chart. And there's some of it that you know, such as the stories of Ahab and Elijah and Elisha. There's a lot of it that you, that you may not have even read before. You know, we make a joke sometimes about how hard it is when you start a daily Bible reading project that you get to the genealogies and you just kind of want to quit. Well, if you make it through the genealogies, you're met a little later with 1st and 2 Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, where it becomes very tough to read through some of these things. But maybe now you have a little bit better of an understanding as we think about their purpose. Why are they there? Well, they're there for our learning. We've mentioned many times in the past, Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, Romans 15, 4, that what sort of things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Yeah, I know it may be hard to read through the genealogies. Yeah, I know it may be hard to read through the kings, but they have a benefit to us. There are a lot of lessons that we could have looked at this morning. We've already touched on a few. Solomon and his turning towards sin, turning towards and giving in to those sexual relationships in such a way that it quite literally took his heart not in this love-struck kind of way, but took his heart away from God. We could talk about Rehoboam and his lack of listening to the wise counsel and how we need to listen to wise counsel when we have that. There are lots of lessons. But to conclude this morning, we want to give you a three-in-one. One statement, if you will, broken down into three parts. Why is this important? What can we learn as we think about the God of heaven? The God of heaven who was. As we've moved through this Sunday school catch-up series, we see that he is the God who was. He was in the beginning. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the God of Joseph and Joshua, the United Kingdom and the Divided Kingdom. But we would say with one voice this morning, he's the God who is. He's the God who is of 2023 and how many more every year that we stand here. Of course, he is the God who was and is and is to come he's the God who always will be he's the God who does not change I don't know about you but when I look back at Genesis 1 when I look back at 1 Samuel and 1 Kings and I think about a God serving a God who does not change that we can learn these lessons about him and we're not left shaking our head or looking up and wondering and trying to understand we can know about him and first of all, in this lesson this morning, as we conclude, he is a God who communicates through words to man. You know, we've touched on this through our class on the Holy Spirit a few months ago. We've touched on this in many ways before. But God doesn't just sort of hit us upside the head, He doesn't put a feeling in our stomach, but He communicates through man, through words. We look in the book of Acts on the pages of the New Testament and everyone who is preached to about Jesus, it's not some feeling that just washes over them, but it's someone who comes to them and preaches, who gives them words. When we think about this lesson through the divided kingdom, God is continuing to communicate through the prophets, through man, his will and his desire. He's using words to communicate to Them. And why is that important? Well, if you're with us last Sunday afternoon, we talked about that the intertestamental period is the sound of silence because God stops. There's a time in which He says, I am not going to communicate anymore. But when He did in the Old Testament, and even as He does in the New Testament, and even today, man is used, words are used to communicate to people. God, we serve a God who communicates through words to man. And, of course, if he's going to communicate, obedience is then expected. Full stop, always, no doubt, not partial, full obedience. We see it with Adam and Eve. We see it with Cain and Abel. We see it with Nadab and Abihu. And as we work through the Old Testament to the New Testament and even till today, God requires full obedience to his words that he has given to us. It's difficult because it's often countercultural. It's difficult because it's really hard when everyone around us is doing something different and we have to kind of stand out if we're going to really serve him and follow his words. But he has taken time to communicate through words to mankind and our obedience is expected. We've made mention before about how the prophets were a voice or voices that were crying out to people who wouldn't hear. And sometimes today people look at preachers and they say, Well, preacher, why do you keep doing it? You know that what you're saying is just kind of going out into the nothingness, right? Into the air. You turn on the television. You pull up the internet. Whatever it might be and you are overwhelmed with these voices that are going against the word of God and only promoting sin. Don't you know you're wasting your time? You can feel like that today. But I think about those prophets They're basically speaking into the wind because no one is listening. And so while God does expect obedience to those who do not obey, we read and learn from this lesson that punishment is coming, that punishment will come. The divided kingdom ends, if you will, with punishment. First and foremost, it ends because the northern kingdom is taken away into captivity by the Assyrians. Ultimately, it will end fully because the southern kingdom is taken away into captivity by the Babylonians. As we mentioned already, that's punishment. Captivity is not a vacation. There is service. There is slavery. There are problems. You lose track of your history. You lose your connection with God. They are going to be punished. Question, did they know it was coming? The answer is absolutely That's what those prophets are doing. They're saying time and time again, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Change, repent, repent, turn. And like we see in the New Testament, they probably quite literally stop their ears and say, we're not going to listen. And the punishment comes. You know, as we have lessons like this sometimes, people say, well, you know, when you're talking about history, there's not really a great transition into the invitation, right? There's not really a great transition into the end of the lesson here where we're about to sing this song and encourage you to make a change. But I think this is a great transition because God has communicated through words to mankind. Our obedience is expected and punishment will come. It doesn't have to come for you or for me. It doesn't have to come to those who will be obedient to his word, but punishment will come. And the voice of God the voice of those on the pages of his inspired word, and yes, the voice of preachers and teachers today are crying out, repent, change, punishment will come if you do not change. Now is the time. It's a perfect lesson for us. It's a perfect parallel for us this morning. And so as we conclude this portion of history and stop right there in our study, the lesson still applies. If you're here this morning and you've never been obedient to God's simple plan of salvation, we sing to encourage you. Punishment is coming. I don't want to scare you. My goal is not to make you afraid, but it is a fact, as much as those prophets were crying out about captivity, it's a fact that Jesus will return and there will be a day of judgment. Punishment will be coming for those who are found unfaithful. Why wait in danger? Why put it off any longer? Become obedient being baptized in water for the remission of your sins, coming in contact with the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world so that the Lord can add you to his church. But as we know, those children of Israel, those people, they were God's chosen people, but they were turning away. Maybe you're here this morning and you have become a Christian, but you've turned away. You recognize that there is something amiss in your life, that you have turned your back on God, that you are serving idols statues, no, but serving yourself, serving money, serving your family, whatever it might be, there may be idolatry in your life. You have an opportunity to turn from that. If you're here, brother or sister, this morning, having been baptized and added to the church already, we're thankful for God's second law of pardon, that we are to remain faithful, but as we struggle to do that, we can confess our sins to God, repent of those sins, and pray, and he is willing and just to forgive so that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. You see, there came a time when the children of Israel found out it was too late. Again, I'm not trying to play on emotions or scare you or make you afraid, but it's just a fact that there will come a time that it will be too late for us as well. Why delay? Either become a Christian or come back to him, even now as we stand together and as we sing.